You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. Terralic is exploited for carding and other purposes. Cloud storage re-up attacks. Cybercriminals use new measures to avoid detection of phishing campaigns. Winter Vivern seems aligned with Russian objectives. Microsoft warns of a possible surge in Russian cyber operations. The boss Sandworm. Johannes Ulrich from Sands talking about malware spread through Google Ads. Our guest is David Antilles from Skybox Security with thoughts on federal government cybersecurity directives. And don't fear the Reaper. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, March 16th, 2023. We begin with a report of the widespread exploitation of a vulnerability in Progress Telerik, a tool suite used for cross-platform application development. Multiple threat actors, including at least one APT group, were able to compromise a U.S. federal civilian agency via a known Progress Telerik vulnerability in an IIS server, according to a joint advisory released by CISA, the FBI, and the MSISAC. The advisory notes that the vulnerability allowed the attackers to execute code on the agency's web server. The organization's vulnerability scanner failed to detect the vulnerability due to the Telerik UI software being installed in a file path it does not typically scan. CISA notes that a nation-state actor and a cybercriminal group both exploited the vulnerability. CyberScoop says the criminal gang, 
known as XE Group, is known for card skimming. The incident amounts to a software supply chain attack. Avanon this morning released a report detailing an attack that threatens deletion of personal files for the purpose of credential harvesting. Researchers share that the attack begins with a phishing email. The email says that the user's cloud storage is full and provides a link to get 50 more gigabytes for free. Of course, the link does not go to a legitimate cloud file storage site. Rather, it's a malicious link to a credential harvesting site. The site tells users to validate their account by inputting their credit card number, which will be charged by the threat actors and taken if entered. Barracuda has published a report looking at three novel phishing tactics being leveraged by cybercriminals. Attackers are using Google Translate links, image attachments, and special characters to evade detection. The researchers found that during January 2023, 13% of organizations received phishing attacks that abused Google Translate. They state, Attackers use the Google website translate feature to send Google-hosted URLs embedded in emails that ultimately lead to phishing websites. In this type of attack, the attacker relies on a translation service to deceive the victim and hide the actual malicious URL. Google Translate is the most widely used service, but our security analysts have also seen similar attacks hosted behind other popular search engines as well. Sentinel Labs reports on recent activity by a quiet and relatively overlooked APT tracked as Winter Vivern. The report this morning said, Our analysis indicates that Winter Vivern's activities are closely aligned with global objectives that support the interests of Belarus and Russia's governments. The APT has targeted a variety of government organizations and, in a rare instance, a private telecommunication organization. Most of that espionage has been conducted against targets in Eastern Europe, and both CERT-UA and Poland's Central Bureau for Fighting Cybercrime are tracking the activity, which they characterize as criminal. Sentinel Labs adds... The threat actor employs various tactics, such as phishing websites, credential phishing, and deployment of malicious documents that are tailored to the targeted organization's specific needs. This results in the deployment of custom loaders and malicious documents, which enable unauthorized access to sensitive systems and information. Some of that phishing involves impersonation of Poland's Central Bureau for Fighting Cybercrime itself. Microsoft reports that while Russian cyber operators have underperformed during the hybrid war, there are signs of a spike in both espionage and influence operations. Microsoft states, In 2023, Russia has stepped up its espionage attacks, targeting organizations in at least 17 European nations, mostly government agencies. Wiper attacks continue in Ukraine. Influence operations have shown an interesting shift in attention toward Moldova. In a longer report on lessons learned over the first year of Russia's war, Microsoft concludes with a warning that future Russian operations are likely to fall into two categories. First, espionage purposes to understand military support and political deliberations of different nations and their commitments to the Ukrainian resistance. And second, potential hack and leak operations targeting key figures essential for support to Ukraine. So, let those shields stay up. Wired has a profile of Colonel Evgeny Serebryakov, 
the GRU officer who's running the Russian military intelligence service's Sandworm unit. Sandworm has been a problem with wipers, attacks on power distribution networks, and other capers, but also a record of noisy stumbling around. Wired writes, After half a decade of the spy agency's botched operations, blown cover stories, and international indictments, Perhaps it's no surprise that pulling the mask off the man leading that highly destructive hacking group today reveals a familiar face. Colonel Serebryakov was actually arrested in the Netherlands during a clumsy 2018 attempt to hack the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, the international organization then investigating the GRU's grisly attempt to use Novichok nerve agent to assassinate a GRU defector in the U.K., The target and his daughter survived, an uninvolved British bystander did not. It's unclear why the Dutch authorities released Colonel Serebryakov. He's still under U.S. indictment, although out of reach and working from some branch of the aquarium, the nickname given to GRU headquarters in Moscow by those who work there. Russia is looking in the Black Sea for the wreckage of the U.S. drone Russian fighters forced down in international airspace on Tuesday, the Telegraph reports. While it was a kinetic knockdown, the Russian fighters dumped fuel on the MQ-9 Reaper and then collided with the drone's propeller. The incident has cyber implications. Should Russia be able to recover the MQ-9's wreckage, It would look for ways of extracting and exploiting data and data management systems the drone carried. U.S. operators are said, according to the Washington Post, to have wiped the MQ-9's systems before bringing it down some 56 nautical miles off the Crimean coast. Getting to the wreckage will be difficult, as the drone sank in water that's between 4 and 5,000 feet deep. General Milley, chair of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff, said... We'll work through recovery operations. It probably broke up. There's probably not to recover, frankly. So, says the general, in effect, don't fear the reaper. Coming up after the break, Johannes Ulrich from SANS talking about malware spread through Google Ads. Our guest is David Antilles from Skybox Security with thoughts on federal government cybersecurity directives. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. everybody want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor splunk you know you need to keep operations humming around the clock but potential disruptions are everywhere splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime the world's largest enterprises rely on splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient resilient and innovative With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com slash resilience. At the federal level here in the U.S., there have been several binding operational directives issued by CISA and others mandating that federal agencies meet certain standards for asset visibility and vulnerability detection over the next few months. David Antilles is Senior Technology Director at Skybox Security, and he makes the case that putting these sorts of deadlines in place can have the unintended effect of putting the bad guys on notice. When directives come out or these instructions come out from, from, the, from the Fed or whatever government agency, uh, we usually find ourselves at an inflection point of where do we need to pivot from? And oftentimes there's some confusion as to what is required, what is needed. You know, for instance, you know, CISA has offered guidance on, you know, vendors providing, you know, security up front and being more responsible for the security uh, for their products that they offer. Oftentimes that takes, takes the onus off of the individual that is consuming the product or those that are purchasing product and don't necessarily understand that there is also a shared responsibility. So when you look at the landscape as a whole, often there's a lot of messaging, a lot of white noise, and not necessarily uh, a lot of exactly what do you need to do in order to secure your your borders, so to speak. And, and so one of the points that I think you and your colleagues are making is that um, as we come up on the dates of some of these operational directives being enforced, that it sort of uh, it motivates the threat actors to come at some of these agencies. Absolutely. It's almost like, hey, we're ringing the dinner bell um, for the wrong reasons, and we're trying to call everyone to the table to make sure everybody's secure, but you know, the biggest, the baddest are going to run towards, you know, the food and try to get as much as they can before everybody else gets there. And the rest, you know, there's nothing left but scraps. That's the way I, I look at things in terms of we, we're basically announcing to the world, we're trying to close, close up. We're trying to make sure that we are in a position of strength. But before we get there, we're also announcing that we are in a position of weakness. And therefore, it's almost like, hey, guys, come, come, come get what you can. We got a couple windows left open. Come jump through there, take what you want, and then we'll, we'll batten down the hatches uh, a little bit later. Right. So. We're going to put up, we're going to put a fence up around this farm full of delicious food. Uh, <laughs> and here's the date it's going up. That's an interesting perspective. So, what do you suppose is to be done here, given that, that reality? 
how should organizations be responding? I think that there should be some level of collaboration, a measure of collaboration between the between the governments and and you know the private sector. Again, there's this disparity about you know what the requirements should be and what they should be doing to attain a measure of security posture or you know improving their security posture. And when you leave it up to compliance or you can you leave it to some 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 sort of governance, we're we're just addressing the the, the nascent elements of the compliance. We're not going after it all. We're we're not we're not taking a baseline approach to try to understand, well, what should we be focused on in order to make sure we secure our environments, our infrastructure, our product sets, our supply chain, all of that. We're we're basing everything on what the what was given to us as a mandate, but we're not we're not entirely sure that we've addressed all of those different pieces that are going to help us secure, you know, the, you know what needs to be secured, and because of that, we leave a lot of holes open. You know, there there are a lot of holes that get exposed. For example, education plays a really big part in terms of, you know, cybersecurity. When we when we talk about Phishing, as for example, is very simple, very easy, very common these days. You know, the city of Chicago, you know, uh, in, in particular, the Department of Aviation back in 2019 experienced a very big boo-boo, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. potential potential breach when when they were provided somebody was provided an email from one of their so-called vendors to basically let's change the account, let's let's pay out a million dollars plus to this individual. And the individual just, you know, bought hook, line, and sinker. Well, we've had mandates out there forever, you know, dictating, you know, what what uh, phishing and spear phishing should look like. And this person, this individual with this type of control and power, just bought into that email right, you know, really quickly and shifted all this money. Luckily, the bad guys didn't get the money, but right. it did ex- it did expose a measure of, uh, I won't say ignorance, but just the, I get, I, I guess. Lack of thought <laughs> in in asking somebody, hey, should I be doing this? Should I be, you know, what's what's the process here? Who should I be talking to, you know, in order to approve this kind of large transaction? And should I be opening up these emails that you know, to begin with? That's been mandated a long time ago, but again, because we we have such vague wording out there and it's not pushed down, and you know, there's there's this uh, causality that happened that that. Unless it happens to you, nobody does anything. There, there, there isn't that measure of you need to get with the times. Uh, so again, kind of flowing down all the way down to the user level. The user le- level is looking at management to say this is what security looks like. Management is looking to the business to say what do we need to secure, and the business is looking to regulatory and governance and compliance to say. What should we be doing in order to secure? And when those things are out of lockstep, you end up with situations like that. Well, in your estimation, who is best equipped to oversee that sort of enforcement? Uh, That's a good question, because obviously we, you know, at the federal level, you know, it's it's an overarching component. And that, that needs to filter on down to the state level and the state's you know where where these businesses con, you know transact or you know conduct their business are beholden and paying their taxes to right so um there has to be a shared responsibility i guess uh, you know from 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 that aspect 
I think there there needs to be some measure of responsibility, both at the board level as well as the as the government level, and there has to be some um, some coming together as to we we agree that if we do X or if we don't do X in order to secure our our data, and it's found that we egregiously messed up, that we're going to get dinged. And it can be at the federal level, it could be at the at, at the at the local level. But I think because uh, the mandates are coming down from the federal level at this point, it has to be at that you know coming from that overarching umbrella. I don't know how much how much they can they can impose their will though. Yeah. So not just shared responsibility, but shared liability as well. Yeah, there has to be, and and you're starting to see that kind of like where the boardroom is starting to grumble about these incidences, and they're starting to dictate pace with the CEO. The mm. CEO is now going to start eating some of that. It's going to start carving into his bonuses and his salary, as it should be. You know, if, if somebody gets fired at the lowest level for misconfiguring a router or a switch or a firewall or what have you, so too should a CEO for the direction that he's taking the company, especially, you know, for those that are directly reporting to him and have respond, direct responsibility for maintaining security and posture of the organization. That's where we see mostly when, when money when money is involved and it affects someone's pocketbook, I truly believe that that's where we're going to start seeing measurable success because we don't they're, they're not going to want to see something take a chunk out of their out of the, uh, out of their stipend uh, just because somebody materially forgot to, to, to make a configuration change or there was a whole process that got missed. That's David Antilles from Skybox Security. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's always great to welcome you back. Uh, We have been seeing some reports here about uh, some malware coming through with Google Ads. Uh, I know this is something you and your colleagues are tracking. What do we need to know about this? Yeah, so this is something that uh, I think has really become more and more of a problem these last few months. And uh, we have uh, observed like a number of cases, also documented them in in our posts. The problem here is that uh, malware actors are paying for Google Ads to impersonate uh, well-known software. Uh, We have seen OBS, uh, like the uh, studio software. We have seen Audacity. Uh, We have seen uh, some of commercial software too, like Word and such. Uh, When you're just searching for, hey, I want to download this particular software, the number one search result is leading you to malicious software because it is a paid ad. And Google apparently has a hard time uh, dealing with that. And it's very difficult for a user, even for a somewhat experienced user, to distinguish these malicious ads uh, from uh, valid links. Because often they're using uh, lookalike uh, URL, so they're using a slight variations of the of the, the domain name. And in particular with open source software, uh, 
Like one defense for them would be, hey, let's just buy another ad, uh, pay more for ads. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> free software, of course, doesn't really want to pay a lot for ads just to get malware out of the way. And uh, then, of course, you're being led to a lookalike website and you're downloading malicious software. Uh, typically, what you're getting is something that looks like the real software with additional add-ons, whereas part of the installer, they install the legitimate software, but they're also installing uh, some kind of uh, info or a bot or whatever. Hmm. So what's to be done here? I mean, I think most people, certainly uh, consumers, they have a lot of trust in Google. Well, uh, don't trust Google. Uh, that's, mm. I think, the first thing uh, here. And uh, probably one of the simplest things that you can do is get an ad blocker. Uh, now, when you're talking about uh, um, the web and such and podcast, usually as of the social contract, hey, you're not going to pay for it, uh, but you're going to listen to our ads, you're going to view our ads. But um, that also, I think, assumes that these ads are somewhat curated and are not outright malicious like what we are having here with Google. So I think in so far, definitely running an ad blocker is probably a first line of defense uh, against this, against this particular attack. Other than that, you know, just be extremely careful as to what you download, which is a good idea anyway. Uh, but like I said, in this case, it's sometimes hard to tell if it's malicious or not. Uh, one little trick uh, that you can use is VirusTotal. Uh, VirusTotal mm. is pretty good in finding uh, these or flagging these malicious uh, binaries that you may be downloading. Interestingly, VirusTotal is owned by Google, so well, at least have... Google help you out here defending yourself against Google. <laughs> against Google. Uh, but, <laughs> uh. <laughs> it would be nice if Google would just uh, do it themselves before they accept ads and such. But right. uh, I guess it's a it's just a matter of sort of this you know, self-serve ad economy they set up uh, where uh, they just let everybody play ads. And sometimes these ads are then also sort of place through third parties that sort of are reselling ads. So uh, it's a fairly complex kind of ecosystem and that doesn't help here. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it goes, I, I find myself saying often that, you know, you'll hear the tech companies say, oh, well, we can't, we can't monitor this at scale. We can't do this at scale. And my response is, if you can't do that at scale, then maybe you shouldn't do that at all. Yeah. For Google, it's just, you know, their, their business concept to take your data and then resell it uh, to better uh, place ads. So mm -hmm. it sort of goes at the core of their uh, their business, which I think makes that more difficult to them. Yeah. It's remarkable, though, that somebody can make it to the front page of Google, you know, the top search results with something that is a scam. And ultimately, that, that you'd think that would be against Google's best interest. Yeah, and we have seen Google fight back somewhat against like search engine optimization, but people didn't pay where mm. uh, they just placed uh, links on various websites. Uh, many, many years back, uh, I think it was now a decade back, we had like a case where there was an earthquake in, in Chile. And what we noticed is that within minutes of that earthquake, which is an unpredictable event, the top search results when you searched for earthquake in Chile was uh, malware or malicious links. Wow. Now, at that point, what we found was there was actually a bot that monitored the Google Trends, the top uh, search queries, and then automatically updated like thousands of WordPress sites they had compromised in order to add spam links and amplify uh, their links. But they didn't pay Google, so uh, Google actually 
doesn't know a pretty good job against it, this kind of uh, search engine optimization or black hat search engine optimization, sometimes called, and that doesn't happen as much anymore. But hey, they still take your money, and uh, <laughs> that's the surefire way to be the number one result when you're doing a search. Yeah, boy, that uh, the cat and mouse continues, huh? Last year, there was one case for even Google Chrome. When you search for Google Chrome, you got a malicious link at top. Wow. Uh, that no longer happens, so they must have put some plug in there that nobody can advertise Google Chrome. But uh, yeah. Buyer beware, right? <laughs> yes, buyer beware. And like I said, Adblocker is probably your best bet at this point. Get something free from a reputable source that doesn't replace Google Ads with other malicious ads. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, Johannes Ulrich, thanks so much for joining us. the cyberwire for links to all of today's stories check out our daily briefing at the cyberwire.com the cyberwire podcast is a production of n2k networks proudly produced in maryland out of the startup studios of data tribe where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies this episode was produced by liz Irvin and senior producer jennifer iben our mixer is trey hester with original music by elliot peltzman the show was written by john petrick Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. <laughs>